Hello and welcome to episode 116 of Inside AgriTurf podcast on the AgriTurf Academy. And I'm your host, Chris Biddle, and I'm delighted that you can join me for this second part of our episode about staffing the business. Now, the initials R&R are often used in military settings. Hopefully, those engaged in land-based engineering get their work balance right in order to enjoy some rest and relaxation. But for many businesses, R&R also stands for recruitment and retention, which demands constant engagement. In part one of this R&R special, Paul Harris, the founder of Real Success, a company specialising in helping the farming community with staffing and employment issues, focused on key steps of recruitment. He urged employers not to panic when faced with a sudden need to replace staff, but to engage in careful planning in order to avoid costly mistakes. And so in part two, Paul considers the actions that companies should take to ensure, as far as possible, that staff are contented and fully in tune with their employer's performance and ambitions, that their priorities extend beyond their salary. Now, although Paul's company focuses principally on the requirements of farmers, his advice is highly relevant to allied companies in agriculture, or indeed any company. So, Paul, it's great to catch up again. You suggested in the previous episode on recruitment that as a first step, you ask when approached by a company to find a replacement for an employee, you should ask why he or she left. And by the same token, you would ask somebody seeking employment why he or she left their previous employment. And that can tell you a great deal, can't it? Absolutely. And good to be back again, Chris. Thank you for asking me for the second session. Um, the exit interview, are quite right. We were often, I had a call today, actually, from somebody who said, we need to recruit somebody. And they were very, quite cross with the fact they got to recruit somebody. And I often have what I call little red flags of, ooh, is there an issue here with the management, maybe, of the company that is that needs to be looked at? So even sometimes if you're the business owner and people are leaving your business, we need to establish have we got, a, as you say, an internal issue, particularly if it's identifiable in a team. So it could be in the dealership, it could be the sales team that's turning over more quickly, it could be the back office team that's turning over more quickly. Why? And sitting down with and having conversations with people. I mean, we talk about retention. One of the things that we recommend, and I'm sure lots of your listeners will do this, many we know don't, is how often do you sit down and have a conversation? with your team to find out how they're doing and how they're getting on. We recommend from a formal perspective, at least an annual personal review. We don't like the phrase appraisal because that feels one way. We have an annual personal review where you sit down with your team and you get feedback from them as to how they think things are going, as well as the regular conversations that any decent manager should be having with our staff. So my first thing is if you're, if you're losing people, don't leave it until they've left to find out why that might be. You know, there's often some early warning signs just by having conversations with your staff. Are there many practical examples of where employees have sort of spilt out to you why they left? Oh, always, yeah. We do what's called a facilitated review process. So we'll actually go in with our clients and 
help them with their conversations with staff. And in that, often we will, we will gather there's a problem somewhere in the organization. But certainly in exit interviews, the single biggest reason that people will tell us why they're leaving an organization is nothing to do with the recruitment process. It's actually once they've started working, it's the communication style of either my boss, my manager, it could be a colleague. It's the classic phrase, I simply couldn't get on with them. There was a personality clash. And that is statistically the single biggest reason why people will leave a business. All the other reasons we know about, like promotion and, and bettering ourselves and things like that, the single biggest reason is the boss didn't speak to me in the way I wanted to be spoken to. And that's amazing because that's if you learn a few techniques, that can be avoided, but it is the single biggest reason why mm. people tell us they leave business. And that must, that must be quite tough, Paul, on, on the, the employer. You know, me, I haven't got a personality problem. I really look after my staff and perhaps they don't realize they're doing it. And, and so to ask them to change their approach to staff it must be very difficult and maybe it's not insurmountable, but this is possibly where colleagues come in who will tell the truth to whoever. That's true, uh, Chris. And, and, and you're right. I mean, one of the reasons we say it's our foundation stone, the fundamental of staff retention is good communication. And the challenge is sometimes we don't know what we don't know. So we're not aware that we are communicating in a way that doesn't work for our colleague. There's lots of um, systems out there that you can use to establish whether you've got a different personality style to your team, um, whether it's Insights or DISC or Myers-Briggs. We've developed our own system called VITA, V-I-T-A, for the agricultural sector. And it's basically simplified a lot of the more complicated systems. But the idea is it shows us whether we are somebody that communicates quite directly, quite bluntly, in that sort of fashion. And not everyone likes, not everyone likes to be spoken to like that. There are other people that really like to understand, have things explained to them slowly and clearly and in a sequence. There are other people that are really about relationships and how they feel and quite sensitive. And there are other people who are just very creative and get bored very quickly. Each of those four different groups of uh, personality styles can work together very effectively, but we need to know our differences. And a lot of the work that we do and we encourage our clients to do is that piece of understanding, getting their managers to understand that they can't manage one way. It isn't their way. It's often the communication process needs to be in the style of the person you're talking to. The old fashioned phrase is treat other people as you wish to be treated from a respect perspective and manners. I think as part of British culture, you would all agree with that, but speak to other people in the way that they want to be spoken to when we're talking about at work and how we get people to do things. Does that make sense, Chris? Is that sort of idea of understanding the difference? Yeah, no, absolutely. No, I read about Vita, Vita, I don't know how you pronounce it, but V-I-T-A anyway. It's it's Latin for life. It's where curriculum Vitae comes from. Oh, of course. Story for life. And vitae is Latin for life. That's uh, so. It's so vita. we're calling that sort of profiling. You're yes. aiming that at, or offering it really to employers. Do you, do you offer it to the new recruits or the new employees? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so as part of, again, one of our sixteen steps of recruitment is that we would say you should profile your staff before you recruit them, because in the interview process, you're trying to find somebody with particular traits. That was what the person specification was about. So again, if I give you an example, if I want someone to work in customer service, I want them to be patient, probably have an attention to detail and good listeners. I don't necessarily need somebody who's abrupt 
and direct and blunt because that might not work. If I'm looking for somebody on a farm to look after, let's say, my young stock, again, I want somebody who's got an attention to detail and a caring nature. So we use profiling in our recruitment process to help us make sure that person's going to fit into the team. But if you've got an existing team, you can often use it to identify why certain people are perhaps not working as effectively together as they could be or are clashing a little bit uh, and not working well. It is generally just because we're different and people are different and they want to work in a different way. There could be somebody, a manager, who can't understand why the team won't just get on with the work and they're sitting chatting in the morning, having a cup of tea. Now, it might be that little bit of chat for that person's really important to get the best out of them. And if we suppress it and tell them not to do it, we won't get the best out of those people. So as an employer, understanding your, your team's profile and your own is really important. But as an employee, to know what my colleagues are and how I come across to others is equally yeah. important, Chris. And I suppose also, Paul, it's to avoid trying to put square pegs and round holes and you may find that an employee may well be suited, more suited to a different role within the company. Exactly. And, and that's where, where psychometric testing or personality profiling and say Vita is a very simplified version. So it's very easy and quick to use and very easy to understand, but it helps you to identify people's strengths, their natural strengths. There are things, a system called strengths binders, all doing the same sort of thing, all based on very similar psychology trying to identify what people can do easily and the best. And that's what you want people to do. So your example of square pegs in square holes rather than square pegs yeah. in round holes is exactly right. That's the purpose of using it. And it is key to your retention. Yeah, you know, yeah. people will stay where they feel they can do a good job. They feel valued and appreciated. Yeah. And, and, and do people find that invasive? Do people enjoy taking part in it or is there some resistance? It's a really interesting, that's a really interesting question, Chris, because Depends, I think, where we're doing it. it you know, most people can be a little nervous, particularly if we're doing a group setting. We will do what's called a team dynamics workshop where we get everyone together and we do it as part of a team building exercise. And there is generally a sense of, oh, am I going to be psychoanalyzed? And am I going to be made to look silly and all those sorts of things? If that's the case, then that's been very poorly delivered. We would never have that. We generally have people go, wow, that was really interesting. It's so fascinating to find out how I'm different to my colleagues. So it's, you know, generally speaking, you know, I would say 99.9% .9 of the time, everyone loves the process, even if they're a little bit reticent before they start. You can also do it online as well. So in the safety of your own home without anybody else, you know, in the room. Oh, that's really interesting. And you made it clear in the first episode that uh, one of the golden rules is communication. And, mm -hmm. and um, also, I'd, I'll add another C, conditions. But communication presumably means staff meetings and the like. As you say, with communications these days online, you can have staff meetings online and, and it is so much easier. But a regular get-together of, of staff to inform them what's going on at the moment or what might be going on in the future is important, isn't it? Well, I think the last bit is what you, is the most important. People often say, we need to communicate more. So let's get everyone together for a staff meeting. Actually, what people really want, they want to understand what's happening. It's the lack of understanding what's, what's coming up, what's going on. And actually just getting people together for staff meetings isn't enough if we're not then giving them the information about how the business is performing. And often people say, well, I don't want to know how business is performing, particularly if we're struggling. Whereas actually many people, if they know the business is struggling, you get this sort of Dunkirk spirit of people working together. So 
yeah, they want to they want to get together. They want to have that social interaction. Maybe for certain people in particular, what's more important is tell people what you want them to do, tell them how they're doing, and tell them how you've done. <laughs> so, what do I need to achieve? How are you getting on doing what we want you to achieve? And what have we achieved? And then people will start to then what I call get aligned. And alignment is really important in getting the team to perform. That's more about alignment later, but it's one of the key things. And communication, good communication, involving people will help them to feel more aligned to what it is you're trying to achieve. And, and the other C that I mentioned is, is conditions, working conditions. That's presumably very important. They've got to feel that they've got a, a, a place to sit down properly and have their cup of tea and being able to go to the uh, toilet without it being stinky and goodness knows what. Yeah, I think I guess it depends on which part of the sector we're talking about here yeah. because I would hope that within the supply side of the sector, things like a decent staff room and a working toilet are, you know, I'm hoping, would be a bit of a given because most buildings have those. But I, on the anybody listening who's from the livestock or arable side actually on a farm, I was amazed, Chris, when I first got into the industry. I'll tell you a little story. I was amazed when I, I went to one of my first farms and I was having a chat with the farmer. So this is an on-farm situation rather than a supply-side situation. And I said to the gentleman I was chatting to, well, can I, can I pop the toilet? He said, yes, of course you can. No problem at all. So I looked at him and said, well, where is it? He said, anywhere you like. And, I, and, and he was dead serious. Well, I go behind and my friend goes, and actually there are still farms and I understand that particularly if you're into livestock farming, it's a messy, dirty game, but there's no excuse to have a toilet that doesn't have hot running water or a towel or worse still, a toilet seat. If we are going to encourage the, you know, a, a much broader spread of gender in the industry, which we do need to, because it's still quite masculine, particularly on the, on the on-farm side, then we've got to get these working conditions right. And if, if you've got a staff room and you decide that, the furniture that was heading for the tip, take it to the tip, not to the staff room. You yeah. know, just simple things like a decent place, as you said, Christus, sit and have my sandwiches or a cup of tea, a microwave that doesn't blow up, a kettle that doesn't explode, you know, some crockery that's not in all chip. These small things, going back to our first impression with recruitment, if you take somebody during the interview process into your grotty staff room and they go, yuck, that could be the reason they don't join you. It can also be the reason people will leave. You think, well, yeah, but I'm paying them the right amount. It doesn't matter. It's these small things that can make a big difference. And, and um, if, if you get all those right, then, Paul, you know, the communication's good, the conditions are good. Can staff members be good ambassadors for the company and help in, uh, in the recruitment process should it ever be needed? Yeah, Chris, that's a really good point as well. One of the 10, ten foundation stones that I call that you need to get in place before you start recruiting, actually, is your reputation. What other people say about you, and this is an incestuous industry, right across all parts of it, whether it's the supply side or the, the, the on-farm side, we all seem to know each other. And actually, word does get around very quickly. Well, I wouldn't go there. They're not a good employer. I would go there. They're a good employer. They don't invest in training. They do invest in training. And some of the people that will spread that message for you are existing employees, of course but also disgruntled employees or very positive employees. So somebody who's left your business in a very positive sense and feel positive about your business will generally tell, let's, let's just use some numbers, tell five people. 
The danger is the person that leaves your business disgruntled will tell 25 people. So we've got to make sure that those basics are in place, that the, uh, our reputation is, as you said in the previous session, an employer of choice, not only what I call an employer of avoidance. <laughs> don't go there because they're not a good employer. It's always often said, and I don't think it's so true in uh, our sector. In other sectors, often it's all about the money or what I'm being paid. But mm -hmm. in, do you find it is all about the money or, or is it much more than that? I think there's a lot of research now that would prove that money is a, a, only one of the motivating factors. I always say, if there's not enough money, it becomes quite important. Once I've got enough money and I feel valued, it becomes less important. Then things like training and development and, and, and improving myself and personal growth become more important. So you have to be competitive with your salaries. But it isn't just a question of, well, someone's a bit unhappy, chuck them another thousand pounds and they'll be happy. It's actually all the things we've been talking about, Chris, from working conditions, from the reputation of the business, from communication and how um, I'm treated at work. Those actually, for many people, have that more value. Also, there's a very important distinction as well. People often of my generation, and I'm 58, I'll own that up, um, will talk about youngsters now not wanting to work hard. They don't want to work as hard as we do. They don't want to do the 60, 80, 90 hours a week to be successful. And I think we have to accept this is not a woke generation. It's a generation that are saying they've seen what's happened to our generation, heart attacks at 50 and 60 and retiring and then keeling over. They don't want that. So actually work-life balance has become really important for the next generation coming through. It should also be important for us in our 30s, 40s, 50s and 60s. So those sorts of things, work-life balance, time off, having holidays can be just as important as paying people a decent salary. You mentioned about the importance of an annual review. That should be a two-way conversation, shouldn't it, uh, Paul? Absolutely. And I think this is one of the things, again, it's why we call it an annual review rather than appraisal. Because most staff think, if you say, can you come in for your appraisal? Most people think that means they're going to get some, and I won't use the right word, but they're going to get some negative feedback, probably. And actually, the, there is always a place to give people constructive feedback and improve performance. But an annual review, as you say, Chris, must be a two-way process. So we have a process, a formula again, if you like, where we are asking the employee what's going well, first of all, because that's often ignored. And we ask you know, them to feedback what the employer's doing well. And we look at both sides, both what's going well and what needs to be improved upon. There's also quite a lot of psychology around reviews and getting people into the right mental state to accept feedback. Uh, just immediately telling them they're rubbish and their, their, their work's not good enough, you're generally not going to get an improvement in performance. We need to recognize what people are doing well, as well as quite rightly recognizing where improvements need to be made. So they need to be balanced, balanced in terms of the feedback, balance in terms of the conversation between you and the employee. And of course, this phrase teamwork, you can find in the sporting, uh, you can have s superstars and then you can have teams that actually work together who can be just as effective. And that's very difficult to achieve, isn't it? I think you, you used the word earlier on, alignment. It, it, mm. Does that mean the same as teamwork, uh, Paul? In a sense, it does. Uh, the, 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 the best way I would describe alignment, Chris, is that if you could imagine, if everyone listening imagines we're all in a rowing boat together or a canoe, imagine a canoe, you know, like the boat race or something like that, and we're all rowing in the same direction. 
But there's one member of staff that doesn't want to go the way that we're going. So they're rowing in the opposite direction. It slows the boat down. It can make it go around in circles. So the metaphor is if we get everybody aligned behind a vision, behind a mission, behind a set of values, perhaps for the business that we all agree and support, we're more likely all to be pulling in the same direction. And the danger is we do sometimes have people in our businesses that don't like the change that's happening. They don't like the new initiatives and they'll fight against that. And then suddenly our boat is going around in circles rather than sailing down the river or across the ocean in the way that it should be. That's what I mean by alignment. And and I think you've got a, a very natty formula. And I don't know whether we can make this work on just audio. Oh, my formula, yes. yes. My magic formula, yeah. Which I will just tell people to start with is S plus K plus A times A equals P. Now, <laughs> so let's start at the beginning. So the, 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 the purpose of having the formula, just to give some context, is when we're assessing the, the potential or the performance value of somebody at work, we often look at the S and the K. So S stands for skills. We look at the things that people can do. K, it's a silent K, stands for knowledge, the things that people know. And often, again, I said in the recruitment one, people say to me, find me somebody who can do this and knows that. And often there are people within our businesses that can do that. And it's not just about they've been with us for longer or older people. It can just be people that can do a really good job for us. That's the skills and the knowledge. The next A, the next A is attitude. It's the attitude that they bring to work. That's the, the pleasantness, their respectfulness, their jolliness or, or, or not, as the case may be. And then the final A is alignment. And I'll explain in a second why it's multiplied in a second. And then P stands for performance or potential. So if you were imagining your team and you're, you're sort of analyzing them, and this is sort of metaphorical rather than literal, we were to score them. Let's give me a couple of examples. Let's, and forgive me for anybody who's called Bob who's listening, but let me just use Bob as the name. So Bob has been in my business a while. He knows what to do and he's got some experience. So skills and knowledge, I'd probably score him eight out of 10 for both of them. Fabulous. Bob doesn't know. Nobody knows. The problem with Bob, he's a bit grumpy. He's difficult to work with. His attitude is not always he wants to help others. So we're going to give him perhaps, I don't know, what should we, what should we do? Should we give him four out of 10 for his attitude. He's a bit grumpy. Uh, and similarly, his alignment score, when we want to change something, he doesn't want to change. He's done it his way for 20 years and doesn't want to do it differently. So his alignment score is only four. If you do the mathematics, and actually the first three are grouped together if you're into algebra. So you do eight and eight is 16 plus four is 20, and you multiply that total by your four, you get a performance potential score of 80. I hope your listeners are following. If you then take, let's take, say, somebody... A very intelligent bunch, I can tell you. (laughs) Let's now compare Bob's score of 80 with somebody who's less experienced, maybe coming out of agricultural college, but has potential. So their skills and knowledge are clearly going to be lower than Bob's. But they've been to college, so they've got some, some knowledge and some skills. They've maybe been on a placement year. Maybe we'll score, let's, let's, let's call her Mary. Uh, and Mary has got a score of six and six for their skills. Not as good as Bob, lower. The difference with Mary, she's so committed. She's enthusiastic. She wants to learn. She's a sponge. So we're going to give her eight out of 10 for her attitude because she's jolly and pleasant to work with. 
And also because she wants to learn, we give her eight out of 10 for her alignment score. She's willing to do what we want her to do. Let's do the maths again together. So we've got six plus six is 12 plus eight is 20. So the first score is same as Bob's. It's a different mix, but it's the same as Bob's. Where she, where Mary really scores is a willingness to do what we want her to do, her alignment score. So then now 20 times eight is 160. It's double the potential. That's not to say we go and fire anybody called Bob in our business, <laughs> but it is to recognize that sometimes we should, if we wrap all this together, we recruit and want to retain attitude and alignment because we can teach skills and knowledge. So whether you're recruiting or you've got people in your team, our recommendation as, an, as a recruitment and people development company is find the people who've got the right attitude and alignment and then train them. Because then you get an eight out of 10, an eight out of 10, an eight and an eight, and you've got the perfect employee and you become the employer of choice. Does that all make sense, Chris? Absolutely. Yes. I'm wiped out by that. But I think what I'm going to do, I'm going to put that in the show notes to this sure. uh, with a, an explanation of what those actually stand for. And uh, listeners can do their own maths on it. Maths, um, yeah. So that's great. Look, absolutely fascinating, Paul. I really, it's great. And, and this question of retention is, is so important. Um, and finally, I asked you about a golden rule for uh, recruitment. Is there a golden rule for retention? But you, I'll well, leave it with when, you. Yeah, when I said with recruitment, the golden rule for recruitment was actually about planning. It was about oh. plan, plan, plan. Get, you know, don't rush into recruitment. The golden rule for retaining staff is communication. It's the big C. But it's particularly not just communicate in volume, you know, in terms of lots of conversation, learn how to communicate with the individual staff members. One of the ways you can do that is through profiling, um, you know, talk to your, your uh, HR consultant or people consultant or give real success a ring and we'll be delighted to help you. That's the big one. For yes, indeed. This podcast goes chiefly to SMEs who don't have the luxury of an HR department or so on. So there's a huge responsibility on employers to up their skills, if you like, or up their understanding, shall I say, of the, the yes. skills needed to aid in recruitment and retention. Look, Paul, th that's absolutely fabulous. I really enjoyed this. It's, it you could go on for hours, but uh, it's <laughs> a big subject, but you've put it across extremely well, and I thank you for that. So many thanks for your time today. Thank you, Chris, and thank you very much for asking us uh, from Real Success to come and help you and talk to you today. So thank you again to Paul. There are so many valuable nuggets of information there that should focus the mind of those seeking to recruit new staff, either as a replacement or to grow their staff numbers, such as planning with the golden rule of recruitment. So communication with staff is the number one priority in retaining staff. Now, in the opening episodes of the AgriTurf Academy, Sundran Craner talked about the art and science of the sales conversation. And so there is an art and science in successful recruiting and certainly sound communication skills in ensuring that your well-trained and valuable staff remain on board for as long as possible. I'm Chris Biddle. Thank you for joining me. And this is an episode of the AgriTurf Academy in association with Inside AgriTurf Podcast. Podcast.